What's going on? Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Mike and Opera Pelicans.com. We're back and we'll continue our player recaps for the rest of the week. We took a little break yesterday to get ready for the NBA draft lottery. Thanks to those who listened to the draft lottery preview. Jim, we did not get a top four pick or the number one overall pick, but the good news out of all this, the Pelicans do get a first round pick courtesy of our good friends in the Los Angeles Lakers. Certainly. I think it was, you know, maybe to some people it was disappointing that they didn't move up into the top four. We knew that the odds of the Pelicans doing that were 26%. So you really were would, would be well advised to not go into the night thinking that it's a catastrophic disaster if they don't move into the top four. So I'm fine with them being eighth. Um, it sounds like there's going to be some very interesting, intriguing, and attractive prospects that will be available at that part of the first round so I'm um, I'm all for it I think it's it's a as we've discussed before it's an unexpected gift that we never thought would would take place so um that's the way I look at it we're, we're happy that the certain fan base that allowed us to obtain a first round pick was not too pleased uh with how things were going yesterday no no it was it, it's been very entertaining and kind of hilarious to see the way that um, some of the Lakers fans have reacted to um, the tweets. I want to make one thing clear. I, I think most people in New Orleans or people that follow the Pelicans already realize this, but I'm actually not part of the social media team. There were some tweets yesterday saying that stuff like the Pelican social media team never misses because there was some hilarious stuff that they yeah. do, like really creative stuff. Which is true. They do and, never miss. And they, right. And I would love to take the credit for that, but I am actually not part of the uh, official social media team that creates some of the stuff, but I will gladly cheer them on from the sideline and wave a towel and say, excellent job. Because I thought the, I thought the video um, with uh, the game footage from uh, uh, the a Pelican stealing a pass was, was hysterical. And when that, when that clip first came up, I thought it was just a, a regular play from the game. And then you start looking closely and you see the ball yeah. has the Lakers logo and then the Pelicans logo. So, um, I just wanted to make that part clear that I'm actually not behind any of the uh, tweets. It's more, it's more creative people than me. But um, I, th- I thought it was funny. You probably had, you probably saw some of this too. There were people who don't understand why, from our standpoint, we're salty about 2019. Another thing I want to make clear, I don't think I'll speak for myself. I'm not salty about the trade itself. Right. Um. The trade it worked out for everyone. The trade to me is the gift that keeps on giving for the Pelicans exactly. in terms of what happened last night. With uh, you have the, you end up with the eighth pick. There's also future draft stuff. You got Brandon Ingram. Um, to me, they did. I want to say the best they could possibly do, but I think they did better than 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 I thought was reasonable going into the situation when you're basically over a barrel and you have a player who says, "I only want to go to one team," and you're trying, and you also have him and his camp sabotaging every other possibility. I know people talked about, for example, that, you know, maybe the Pelicans can trade him to Boston and it comes out like, no, he's not going to play for Boston. So, I mean, you're in a, you're in a very difficult position. And I think new Orleans did extremely well under the circumstances. I mean, better than anyone can imagine to me. So the trade itself is not the issue. I saw some Lakers fans saying like, why are they mad about the trade? The trade's over. They agreed to it. It's what happened before the trade. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the part. How that, we got to the trade. Exactly. Between January and when the trade was made is the reason that for me, I'll speak for me personally. 
I'm sure there's a lot of people that agree with me and some that don't, which is fine. Everyone's can have their own opinion. But for me, the conduct that took place from the day that the tr- official trade demand was made through the end of the season, through obviously the very last game of that regular season where we have the that's all folks shirt. I mean, some of that stuff was a disgrace to me. And I mean, that might sound exaggeration, but it was just there's there's a way to do things and there's a way to, to not do things. And I feel like across the board, it checked off every box of this is not the way that you do business. This is not the way that you treat people. This isn't the way you treat your teammates. You don't you, you don't say to your teammates before the season even starts, hey, I'm thinking about leaving or, yeah, I'm going to leave. I'm probably not going to be here. Because to me, the tone that that set for the entire season was such that there was no, that season had no chance. And to me, that's what bothers me. It's not the trade that happened in the summer of 2019. It's everything during the season. And we found, we find out in hindsight that Anthony Davis told his teammates that he was thinking of leaving. How are they going to ever be successful that year? It's not possible. Your, your best player already has a foot out the door before the season even starts. So, I mean, to me, that is where the animosity comes from. And that's where the feelings of resentment are rooted in is just the fact that it was the worst thing I've seen in the NBA in, in terms of up close of, of in terms of just how you conducted yourself in a situation. He should have, he should have this, he should have said before the season, I'm leaving trade me. Don't wait until the season starts and then the team's losing and then be like, Oh, I need to, I need to leave because I can't win here. And, and as a several Pelicans fans mentioned the other day too, um, they were coming off a season where they went to the playoffs. Everything was going great. Um, to me, it would have looked bad. It would have looked bad for him to say, "I'm leaving." After they made the second round of the playoffs, they had the sweep of Portland. So you you throw all that stuff into the into a into a bag, and that's how you end up with three years later. There's a lot of um, negative feelings towards the whole situation. Thank you for coming to Jim Eikenhofer's TED Talk. As we, uh, <laughs> that's not why we're here today. <laughs> Let's just start with that. And I was going to go back to one of your tweets that you talked about. Um, or you said the social media team that they never miss. Well, you never missed on the pun, and that goes into today's <laughs> focus on Jose Alvarado. That is the person we're talking about today as our player recaps continue. But your quote tweet to that tweet that you're talking about, the ping pong balls, Grand Theft Alvarado. <laughs> I was so proud of you. I texted you immediately. One of your best tweets ever. <laughs> and I don't know if that's saying much. but <laughs> It probably isn't. But no, I considering that I know that you are a um, huge pun aficionado, mm-hmm. and it's you have a gra- a vast appreciation for that. That means a lot coming from you. I I I think it's great that I was able to come up with a pun on the spot that I didn't think about at all. I was just like, it just it just came to me. I said, how do I play off of Grand Theft Alvarado? And I'm like, wait, Lotto. I was trying to think of lottery, and then I'm like, wait, Lotto sound rhymes with Rado, so. There you go. It was there perfect. you have it. There's the, there's how the sausage is made right there. That was it was perfect. <laughs> I was so proud of you in the moment and, and, and still proud of that tweet. It, it was golden, that's for sure. And um, so let's talk about Jose Alvarado and, and let's talk about we talk about how appropriate it is that the NBA draft lottery was yesterday. And this is a guy, Jim, and Jose Alvarado that went undrafted last season. And what a journey it's been in his first season with the Pelicans. Came in the training camp with the Pelicans, signed to the G League, then came back to the Pelicans. 
um, was made a two-way player, wasn't in the rotation, then cracked the rotation, and then you're seeing him guard Chris Paul 94 feet in the in the first round of the playoffs. What a wild ride it's been for Jose Alvarado this season. Yeah, now that my TED Talk has concluded, I'm going to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of a guy that was really given nothing, a guy that had an incredible attitude. I know I've mentioned this before over the course of the season. The first time I met him on media day, I was like, I don't know how much he's going to play. He might not get an opportunity at all. He's going to get a chance, obviously, in the G League in Birmingham, and that might be it as far as the extent of how much we see him this season. But I was like, this guy's off off the charts in terms of his attitude. He, If you sit down and talk to him, you immediately like the guy and you immediately want to root for him. And I feel like I'm so happy that over the course of the season that the entire fan base got to see what he's all about. And that's one of the reasons why, I mean, as David Griffin said, on the day after the season during the exit interviews that he's he, he and Herb Jones are arguably the most market marketable popular players on the team. So what a what a story to see a guy go from um I, I know only people that are really into college basketball really even were aware of who he was or that kind of thing when training camp started um to go from that to a guy who the crowd is singing his name and chanting his name during the playoffs it was it was one of the coolest stories I've seen over the last 15 years since I've been here. You talk about fans chanting his name. I mean, what a fan favorite Jose Alvarado was this season. There was a, a time in the year that you're asking the team store to get some Jose Alvarado jerseys in. I mean, when you look at teams that sell players' jerseys, you usually start with the main guys, the Brandon Ingrams mm-hmm. of the world for the Pelicans, the Zion Williamson's of the world. We talked about Herb Jones already, but Jose Alvarado's, Jersey was in high demand throughout the season. And that says a lot about a guy that was undrafted and was a two-way player. They go from that to being a Jersey that people were wearing around the city. I would say by the um, end of the playoff series against Phoenix, he was basically the sixth man. But I mean, before that he was kind of seventh, eighth, ninth man. And he still was at, I'm sure at some point during the season was the hottest selling Jersey. So you don't see that around the NBA very much. I mean, how many teams have a guy who's maybe your second, third, fourth guy off the bench, who is the jersey that everybody's buying and everybody is kind of um, just taking a shine to to that type of player. Like you said, usually you have to be one of the top maybe two or three players to have your jersey be flying off the racks. But I, I did notice in April, even maybe before the playoffs, you started looking around the seats and seeing tons of Alvarado jerseys and shirts and stuff like that. So, yeah, he, it, it was pretty cool, something that, you know, you just don't see very often in the, in the league. Let's talk about the skill set of Jose Alvarado and what he brings to the team. There's a lot of the, and I've been trying to practice the word intangibles, that Jose Alvarado <laughs> brings to the table. I was working on that all, all morning, Jim, so I'm glad I was able to execute. Yes. Um, but what he was able to bring, not just the stuff that you see on a box score, because sometimes his box scores didn't look pretty, Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in those same games, he was extremely effective. And I think that's what really stands out about Jose is what he's able to bring to the floor, whether he's shooting well or not. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that actually is kind of an intangible or related from intangibles that we do see in the box score was his plus minus was through the roof. He led all rookies in the NBA in total uh plus minus over the course of the season. I know people have arguments about it and people that we respect very much about how much value that you can really just put in that stat. But yeah. I think over the course of the season, it 
kind of bears out of how much of an impact he made. I get maybe in one or two games it doesn't mean a whole lot, but I think his track record over how much he played shows that when he was on the floor, the team was better than when he wasn't. Um, but in terms of some of the other stuff, intangibles, see, I did I did a decent Very job well. there. Very well, I like that. Thank it. you. Um, David Griffin also addressed this after the season that um, – He's a guy that gets the crowd home crowd into the game so much because he's so fired up. And whenever he makes a big play, um, he'll scream to the crowd and everybody kind of just feeds off of that. Um, I know the Pelicans are trying to build a home court advantage, and we saw that that was the case at the end of the season and into the playoffs. I think it's cool, too, that Jose, if you if you really watch closely, like he'll be fired up after he scores a basket, but he's way more excited after he makes a defensive play or a steal, especially when he comes from behind somebody as, and gets one of his sneaky steals. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Those are the kind of plays, the hustle plays, that really get him excited. And I think there's that was also really what the crowd fed off the most. I think it's funny, you, you, you go to games in Golden State and you hear the crowd um, start to kind of roar in anticipation when Steph Curry takes a three. Because they, you know, they they're expecting it to go in. There were times when I was looking down this season, because maybe I was writing something or tweeting something, or some play just happened that I wanted to write a note about, and I hear I heard the crowd like kind of slowly building, kind of towards a roar. And I look up, and it's because Jose's scrambling from behind a ball handler and about to steal the ball. So I mean, people kind of caught on to that as well. Um, I almost feel like we need to tell, make sure we tell the crowd like don't. Don't make too much noise exactly. because we don't want we don't want the other team to know that Jose's lurking in the background. But um, again, just such a unique aspect of his game that people loved. Yeah, and his attitude. I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying. But it would it's always been a a team first mentality and how grateful he is just to be in this position. And he's one of those guys that didn't take anything for granted when he was with the team. For training camp, his attitude was the same. When he was not in the rotation, attitude the same. When he was playing, attitude was the same. That consistency from him, night in and night out, really earned the respect of all of his teammates. You know, you mentioned the word, um, how grateful he was to be in the position that he was in and the gratitude that he showed. To me, the the, the game at Madison Square Garden where he had a huge night and then he gave a post-game interview with Jen Hale, on TV that absolutely blew up on social media. Like it was one of the biggest things of the entire season. I remember that. Um, but I think if you really kind of delve deep into it and the mindset and the mentality that he has and why people embraced him so much, he said multiple times during that interview, how happy he was to just be in the position of being able to, he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he said like, I'm back in my hometown of New York City. I'm at Madison Square Garden. We just won a game. You're interviewing me on TV. Like, how much better can it be than that? And I feel like one of the things that people relate to is, like, I think people people say to themselves, if I was in his position or if I was an NBA player and I was making the kind of money that they make and able to, even and even more to the point, to be able to play a game for a living and to be able to do that as your profession, like something that people go out in their driveway to do just for fun to be able to actually do that every day that I would if I was in those shoes that that's the mentality or the attitude that I would have and the perspective that I would have so I think that's why that video blew up so much and was so popular because a lot of people can kind of relate either relate to it or just 
see themselves in, in that kind of perspective of like, I try to be that way as far as my job too, but just thinking about how much fun we have in our jobs, but how amazing it would be to actually be a player and get to do what they do. So I think people appreciate the fact that he has such a good understanding of how um, blessed he is to be in the position that he's in. And um, I think that's one of the things that I, I liked about him immediately. Another thing we liked about him is his defense. And that's safe to say the way he was able to play. He was an ACC defensive player of the year, kind of like Herb Jones, four years playing at Georgia Tech. Got them into the NCAA tournament before he went pro. Um, and that was a 10-year drought for Georgia Tech as well. Um, but the defense that he was able to show throughout the entire season, again, when you came when he came in, that's probably a big reason why his plus-minus was what it was because you had another guy that was able to enter the floor defensively between mm-hmm. him and Herb Jones on the floor at the same time. You were getting stops. What stood out to you about the defense he was able to play in his first year in the NBA? I think it was another area where there was skepticism that he would be able to carry over how successful he was defensively in college to the NBA, and he immediately was like, no, I'm still going to be just as good as I was in in college defensively. I didn't watch him enough to know um, how great he was other than we, we knew that he was defensive player of the year in his conference and one of the best conferences in the country, obviously. But um, I think people thought that even when he initially started being in the rotation, I heard some of the writers or some of the local media say concerns about, you know, he's not very big. Like our other team's going to post him up a ton. Is he going to get exposed that way? And um, it never really happened. There might've been one game, one, one or two games where teams were kind of going at him. He immediately figured out how to counteract that. And then he ends up in the playoffs badgering the heck out of like one of the best point guards in the history of the league and one of the best ball handlers in the history of the NBA. So um, he, across the board, whatever skepticism people had about him defensively, like he had to answer for that every time. So I think that was what I was the most impressed by who knows, maybe um, as he gets more playing time, like next season, he's in the rotation from the beginning of the year. You'll start to hear some discussion about all defensive um, accolades. I don't think he he definitely didn't play enough this year, at least from the beginning part of the season, for that to be part of the conversation. But um, when he can have that much of an impact at that end of the floor, it's it's quite unique. No doubt about it. Let's wrap things up with a Twitter poll question. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer. Jim, what was the poll question for Jose, and what were the responses like, or at least the results of the poll question? The question. Poll question was, when did you realize or know that Jose Alvarado was an undrafted steal? Pun intended for New Orleans. Well done. Again, you're on a roll with these puns. <laughs> and um, the the winner was the game that I referenced where the Pelicans beat the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, and he was really the player of the game. Um, that got about two-thirds of the votes. Um, Runner-up was his performance in 2021 Summer League, which got 14%. I mean – I think that would have been that would have been higher. It's it's interesting that he was really kind of a he was a reserve on the summer league team even too. So you don't watch summer league and see a guy who's coming off the bench and say, Yeah, he's gonna make a huge impact for his NBA team, but that's exactly what he ended up doing. So yeah. what a journey it's been for Jose Alvarado from again undrafted to seeing him on NBA on TNT leading up to a game uh, last week and stealing the ball from Kenny Smith again fan favorite he's turning into a favorite around the league and he definitely has the attention of a lot of people 
and uh, hopefully it continues to grow here with the Pelicans and um, another steal for the Pelicans here, and maybe they'll get another one in the NBA draft, which will take place about a month from now. Jim, I appreciate the time. Who do we got tomorrow? Tomorrow we have um, Trey Murphy the third, um, another excellent rookie success story for the Pelicans. And then we wrap thing, the week up with Larry Nance Jr. on Friday, and then next week it will be – who we got next week? Najee Marshall, Devontae Graham, and Billy Hernan Gomez. And Billy Hernan Gomez. Those will be the three we'll wrap up with leading into the Memorial Day weekend. So I appreciate you all tuning in, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.